Welcome to Southern New Hampshire University's Social Sciences podcast, Agents of Change. Here we invite students and professionals to chat with us on topics of inclusion and diversity, student success, and their learning experiences. In this podcast, we will hear insights and personal accounts of people who have persisted against the odds and impacted positive social change. Join us as we learn how we can all be positive agents of change. Hey, well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever the case may be. This is Dr. Jeff Zarnick with Associate Dean with the Department of Criminal Justice and the Social Sciences here at Southern New Hampshire University Global. And I want to welcome everyone to yet another fantastic Agents of Change podcast, where we really try to do the best we can to bring great information, communication, et cetera, to the table for our SNHU students. And tonight, as you will see when I introduce him, we are absolutely honored and blessed to have our special guest tonight. But I'm going to read you a synopsis first, and I want everyone to be prepared that this particular podcast interview is a sensitive one, and it deals with a very, very difficult, but a very real topic. End of watch, Saturday, April 23, 2005. Police officer Mark Cross was shot and killed after he and his partner approached a suspicious vehicle near the intersection of Lexington Avenue and Catherine Street. Officer Cross and two officers were on patrol in the Adair Park Historic District of Atlanta, Georgia. It was an area known for narcotic sales and violence. At approximately 8.45 p.m., the officers observed a suspicious vehicle in front of a drug house. Officer Cross and his partner approached the driver's side of the vehicle and the driver immediately opened fire, killing Officer Cross and wounding his partner. A third officer returned fire, killing the suspect. A second suspect in the vehicle was wounded and taken into custody. Officer Mark Anthony Cross had served with the Atlanta Police Department for six years, and he is survived by his wife and two children. This is a reality check for everyone. The job is very violent has remained violent. And tonight we are honored and blessed to have Major Fred Watson, Atlanta police, who has a very has intimate knowledge of this incident as he was there. Welcome, Major. And if you would, would you share your story of what occurred on April 23, 2005? Hey, Doc, thank you. I appreciate you having me here tonight. Uh, it is a kind of a somber story. Um, Mark Anthony Cross was uh, not only a partner, he was my friend. Um, you know, you really don't know about a person. Um, it's you like, you know, to really, really get to know him. And it was a lot of things I knew about him uh, prior to the incident. And then uh, I found out after the incident, you know, uh, Mark was born in Lansing, Michigan, but he grew up in Chicago. And uh, his father was a former uh, supervisor agent with the FBI. He eventually uh, attended school uh, in Savannah State uh, and uh, playing football on a scholarship. And uh, the ironic thing is that I grew up in Chicago. I think Mark is about four years older than me, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, uh, his father was in law enforcement. My father was in law enforcement. I ended up going to Morris Brown College to play football, same conference at Savannah State. And, uh, you know, 
he was a great friend. So Mark was a husband, a father, a brother, a nephew, and uh, uh, he is deeply missed. So uh, like you said, on April 23rd, 2005, uh, I was assigned to the Red Dog Unit. And at the time, within the Atlanta Police Department, the Red Dog Unit is a was a street-level narcotics unit. It was an acronym, and it stood for Run Every Drug Dealer Out of Georgia. So uh, I was transferred in uh, 2003 to that unit. Uh, I was on the same order as Mark Cross. And uh, we kind of, you know, hit it off uh, right away, you know, joking and laughing, doing the things we do, uh, became good friends. So on this particular night, we were tasked with doing a uh, checkpoint or a roadblock, uh, you would say, in a uh, area called Zone 1. In in our area, some places, some areas call them areas, we call them zones. So each uh, field level command has... uh, a zone. So we have six zones within the city of Atlanta and we were operating in zone one doing a checkpoint. And afterwards we received a, uh, a lead sheet to go to zone three to Adair Park area to investigate suspicious narcotics uh, activity. And those lead sheets come in from citizens anonymously about people possibly selling drugs. So we were en route and I'll never forget this day. It was uh, a draft day for the Falcons, Atlanta Falcons. And Mark was a big, big Michael Vick and Atlanta Falcons fan. And it was the night in which the uh, Falcons drafted Roddy White. Uh, so that was a long time ago. But uh, uh, they drafted Roddy White. We were in a car listening to the radio. And then we came across a suspicious vehicle um, at the time occupied by two males. And uh, we noticed uh, individuals in the car. And we shone our spotlight into the car from our patrol vehicle. And um, the driver made a motion as if he was trying to hide or conceal in a particular item. Uh, immediately, uh, Mark exited exit our Mark patrol vehicle and approached the suspect's vehicle on the driver's side. Meanwhile, uh, I was sitting behind Mark in the Mark patrol vehicle as a passenger. I got out and uh, walked around the rear of the suspect vehicle, approaching the passenger's side of the vehicle and the other officer that was inside the vehicle our mark vehicle that was driving with us so we were actually a three-person team that particular night uh parked the car and he got out and started to walk around the back of the patrol vehicle positioning himself on the the rear bumper of the patrol vehicle so as i crested the rear uh suspect's vehicle coming up on the passenger side i heard what sounded like a bang and um Unknowns to me, there was another bang, and Mark was about 6'2", I was about 6'1". My peripheral vision, I could not see him, but when I looked inside the vehicle, I saw an individual uh, with a revolver uh, kind of positioned with a leg out, still seated in the vehicle, but positioned in the direction where Mark would have been discharging a firearm or a pistol in the area where he was. Uh, immediately I drew my service weapon and I returned fire, uh, striking uh, the passenger that was inside the vehicle as well as the uh, uh, armed suspect, uh, mortally uh, wounding him during the encounter. Uh, After which, unknownst to me, uh, the third partner that was actually driving the vehicle had crawled up um, and he he actually was grazed in the face, lost his firearm, and he crawled up to the suspect vehicle and handcuffed the driver. Uh, meanwhile, I had pulled the passenger 
out of the vehicle, detained him in handcuffs, brought him back to the rear of the suspect vehicle. And when I walked around to check on my two partners, I immediately saw uh, my partner who was driving the vehicle, who was grazed, uh, having somewhat of like a small hole in the side of his cheek. He was bleeding and he had lost his firearm. And I immediately looked to my right and I saw uh, Mark on the ground um, between both vehicles. And uh, I made sure Andy was okay, that he got his firearm. And then I went to Mark and I'll never forget seeing him lying there. And uh, all I could do was think about trying to get an ambulance there. He had suffered an entry exit wound to the forehead. And uh, uh, we got fire and EMS there and, and both Andy and Mark were transported to the hospital. Uh, you know, I, afterwards, I, I was I remained on scene. We had people coming up to the scene. You know, we secured the scene, did everything we had to do as far as crime law. Uh, you know, homicide came out at the time within the department. They would investigate an officer-involved shooting. Uh, and at that time, they seated me inside of a vehicle. And then eventually I was transport, transported back to headquarters where I made a statement. Um, you know, the sad thing about this whole situation is that the individual that shot and killed um, my partner and, and wounded my other one was a uh, individual who actually, with a group of friends, I think when he was 12 years old, they stoned a homeless person to death. And he turned state evidence, and then he got out in 18. And a year later, he uh, came across us and he killed my partner and wounded the other. Um, someday, sometime, there's a book um, entitled Signal 58, Killing Atlanta's Finest is written by Harold B. Gohagen. Um, he wrote a book on all the Atlanta police officers, starting with Mark going backwards about, you know, how their uh, incidents transpired. And in his book and, and what we found out through the homicide file is somebody that night, we don't know what law enforcement jurisdiction that was, encountered the individual who shot and killed my partner and wounded my other partner. And uh, when he came home, the suspect told his girlfriend, the next police officer that basically stops me, I'm going to kill him. I'm not going back to jail. And it happened to be our team. It happened to be my partner. And, um, you know, it was, it, it, was a it was a very tragic situation. Uh, the Red Dog Unit, if I'm not mistaken, had been around from about 1989. And no officer within that unit was killed in the line of duty. And Mark was the first. Uh, it was one of the most elite tactical units within the Atlanta Police Department next to SWAT. Right. And, uh, you know, you really don't understand. How can I say this? People see police funerals. They see police officers, see the pomp and circumstance associated with it. I'm telling you, it's nothing that you ever want to really experience or be involved in it. And, and both my part, my uh, other partner and myself were. And to be in that situation, knowing that, you know, we all came up together, we all been in the same unit together and you, you joke and laugh and this person, you know, this person that you called your friend, your partner is gone. You know, it's, you're lost at words, you know, the hardest thing I had to do in this job, this profession in law enforcement was to go to his father with my other partner and tell him how his firstborn son was killed in line of duty. That's one of the hardest things I've ever done. And additionally, at the same time, when everything happened, I saw myself. I saw myself as, as a young, a young, a young person who just been on the police department, 
you know, sworn about four years. I came on, I came on the Atlanta police department in 2000 and, uh, this incident happened on uh, April 23rd, 2005. And, you know, what I tell a lot of recruits and, and, and people when I share this story, when, when this situation happened, I didn't have $2,000 in the bank. I didn't have a life insurance policy. And I was just coming to work having fun. And n- noticing everything that happened, it's like my whole life flashed in front of me. And I looked at the situation and said, that could have been me. And um, I changed a lot of things, you know, personally, financially for myself. Um, you know, Mark uh, was married to his wife. She was Thai. Uh, like I said, he attended uh, Savannah State. Uh, and I think she was on a internship. And at the time they met and basically in so many words before they got married, the internship ended. And, and she basically told him, if you want me, come get me. And he went to Thailand and, and proposed and married her. They had two beautiful kids, uh, Ty and Ada. I think at the time they were five and three, respectively. And, um, you know, it's just devastating to the whole family. You know, Jim moved uh, to Seattle shortly after, and then she moved to Thailand where she, um, you know, lived with her family and raised her kids. His daughter has recently um, came back to the States and is living with her uh, grandparents, you know. Um, and now she's interested in going back to school and going to college and uh, looking at, you know, maybe a future in uh, art. But, you know, um, it was hard. It was hard. You know, it's been 17 years since an officer in the Atlanta Police Department has been killed by gunfire. And that's a, um, how can I say, a testament to the training and the things that we do here with the department, especially for a city of this size. And, um, you know, not a day goes goes by that I think about the situation. Uh, we talk about this and other situations within the land police department with recruits prior to uh, when they go to field training. We have a in, a in the line of duty deaths, not explaining just the situation associated with the officers that were killed, but the protocols associated with funerals and explaining the honor guard and the different resources that are available to officers. So sometimes, you know, you get choked up because, you know, although yes. it's been 17 years, he still was my friend. That was like, you know, uh, how, how we say, you know, that was my boy. We, we did a lot of stuff together. And, you know, um, in 2006, the following year, I was the escort officer for the family. Uh, we went to D.C. and his name was engraved on the wall at the National Memorial. And uh, we had, I had the liberty of actually escorting. Um, uh, as you know, you know, we had 10 officers, I'm not mistaken, in the state of Georgia that was killed in 2005. And what they do at the uh, the badge well at the uh, Carnation Memorial, they would have all the officers representing the families um, seated on the Capitol lawn. And then what you would do is you would ask, escort that family up to a star, and they would place the Carnation. And this is for every family member who lost a loved one in that year. And then afterwards, uh, they had some um, um, words and uh, encouragement from uh, President George Bush. And it was a great, great uh, outing. I, I recommend anybody, whether you're law enforcement or not, to attend police week, to go to the uh, the police officer uh, memorial, attend a candlelight vigil, go to the police museum, um, which at that time it wasn't uh, constructed. But uh, to learn about what we do, you know, this is this is a great profession, but it's a profession that, you know, that's very dangerous. And you have to have a calling to actually come into this occupation. I've been here 22 years. I love it. 
Um, but, you know, uh, not a day goes by that I think about, you know, uh, Mark, I think about my partner, you know, he was mm-hmm. grazed. Every day he looks in the mirror, he's, it's going to remind him of, of what happened on that particular night. And, uh, you know, uh, Doc, quite honestly, I don't think I would have been there without the train. I would have survived that situation if it wasn't for the training that I received from the department. Right. Um, that specialized unit that I was in, we had monthly firearms and monthly tactical training, uh, which was above the level of a normal uh, patrol officer. And I credit the SWAT team and I credit uh, all the instructors that uh, uh, helped me and uh, helped uh, my partner uh, navigate through that situation. How did you yourself major after that? And I completely empathize with you having lost three friends on the job. One of them was actually one of my students at one time. How did you, you yourself recover from that and come back and be engaged and productive? A lot of prayer, right. uh, good uh, family and friends uh, circle. Um, at the, you know, and also the department did a great job of uh, bringing in outside uh, uh, psychiatrists and therapists to make sure that we were okay um, when that incident actually occurred. Uh, we were taken offline for about a week, and uh, uh, then we met in individually and in a team concept, and it, it really helped me. You know, actually that night I went home, and there was a friend that I. Uh, attended high school when he was in town and he didn't even he heard about the incident but he just came he was in town hey Fred what are you doing and I said hey come over and holler at me and I told him what happened he's like that was you and he couldn't believe it and he stayed with me that night but it took a lot of uh, uh, prayer and time and then the other thing is that you know uh, I had a father in law enforcement uh, and he was involved in a similar situation back in 1984 when they robbed a uh, jewelry store and they took him in the back and put a gun to his head and uh, while they were trying to clean out the establishment the gentleman looked um, in the front of the store in the direction of his co-perpetrator and at that time uh, my father removed his ankle revolver and was able to uh, uh, defend the individuals that were in the back of the store and uh, mortally wound the suspect that had the gun to his head and uh, he received you know a warrant accommodation and all that stuff but but, but besides all that right he was he been involved in a situation and i'll never forget the night when that happened and back then we had the, what they call the next tail chirps the walkie talkies mm-hmm. and i hit him on the walkie talkie and i was i just never forget it's a dad and it was just like silence and it was kind of like that dad and he was like hey what's going on what you got and i said dad i've been involved in a police shooting i'm okay right. you know one of my partners have been, two of my partners have been shot. One, I'm not sure he's going to make it. And the, the pause, right? you know, usually, you know, a person would immediately respond. It, it took him maybe about 10 seconds to respond. And he responded and he wanted to make sure I was okay. And, and I never forget my brother, who was also a law enforcement officer in Chicago, said that he called him and he stayed up the whole night. He couldn't sleep. Oh, and, you know. Two days later, he actually came down to support me, um, and uh, and I appreciate him for that. But talking to him and understanding and just him laying eyes on me and making sure that I was okay in the right mental space, 
I think that really helped him and just seeing him and knowing he was there for me and that I had the support, not just of my department, but uh, my friends, my family uh, really helped me out. You know, um, it's something you'll never forget. Right. Uh, but, you know, you know, it's almost like I lost my partner, but I, I and I lost my friend, but I gained another family in mm-hmm. the cross family. And, you know, being able to over time converse with them and attend events with them and never forgetting that, you know, we were involved that night and uh, always, you know, uh, keeping in touch and making sure that, you know, they're OK and that the kids are OK. And that that's really been great. You know, just making sure that, you know, not just him, but all officers that were killed in line of duty within the department of memory has been, um, uh, you know, uh, talked about and, and taught in you know, our academy curriculums, but as, but also uh, keeping up with the family, making sure they're okay. That That's my biggest thing. And, you know, although it hurts, you know, um, it's a difficult thing. You know, you, you, you will move on, but you'll never forget. And that was the biggest thing for me. And the reason, one of the reasons I asked that question, Major, is that a lot of officers, I think the stats will bear me out, a lot of officers who were involved in an officer involved shooting where they took another life, et cetera, don't stay. It wears them out and they don't stay on the job uh, very long, but you managed through your support system to, to deal with this thing in a very, this event in a very, very positive manner where you actually can share that as a fantastic learning experience because for the listener's sake, major Fred Watson is in charge of the uh, recruit training, the Academy training for all the Atlanta police officers. And so he, if anyone else, you know, can give them a ra- reality check. That's what the purpose of this interview is. To please let people, to let your students know that uh, the job is very dangerous. And what Major Fred said about training, learning, and capture, and using a support system, all relying on that support system is just phenomenal. Let me ask you this, Major. Let's just, if you don't mind, to take us back to that night when you had both you had got into the cruiser, the radio car, whatever you, the SWAT car, and um, you had a directive. What was it, what was it like? I mean, what was the atmosphere? You, you, you mentioned it was a suspicious vehicle. And I think some students might have a question. What in you and your partner's mind, what led you to believe that to be a suspicious vehicle that merited, you know, you getting out of the vehicle and checking it out? What, what was that? Well, you know, there, there's crimes as it relates to vehicle break-ins, uh, what we call uh, auto larcenies. Uh, it wasn't a fact of seeing just two people walking down the street or two people just getting into a car. It was the, it was the, the, uh, what we call kind of like the guilt lady fact that we saw associated with the incident. Um, the, the matter, you know, when we're, when we're patrolling, um, that particular area, yeah, there are, you know, car break-ins, there's people who are involved in suspicious activity. And when we shine that spotlight, that eye to eye contact and the motion in which signaling as if they were trying to hide or conceal something. And normally in our environment, working in, in um, a narcotics investigation, that usually was a beer or that usually was drugs. This time it happened to be a firearm. And, and, and it's something that we didn't expect. So um, that's kind of in a nutshell what kind of happened on that night. You know, there's many times we have encountered what we call 
uh, police citizen encounters. You know, this wasn't a traffic stop. This wasn't like, you know, we saw somebody with a broken tail light or run a stop sign and we pulled them over. Uh, they were actually like inside the car. And when we shined the light, the motion in which the driver made was actually as if they were trying to conceal something. And we were just conducting a, a police citizen encounter to see what 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 transpired. And just and just, just so happened on this particular night. Uh, the, not not knowing that it would be a weapon, we were assuming that it would have been drugs or alcohol, like it, it occurred in the past. And how do you, when you were um, they were interviewing you post post event, how did you, how did you articulate that to justify the sh- you know to justify your response, the initiative, justify the initiative that you took, which ended up in a tragedy? Um, how did you? For the sake of the students who have to wordsmith, who have to have a really strong grasp of the English language, for, for example, how did you how do you articulate that? How do you say you know to convince people who don't who aren't involved in that the legal minds, whoever, right? How do you convince them? What did you say, friend? And and you were referring to convince them as far as yeah. In other words, what's suspicious to you and I? And other police officers would say, based upon training, experience, and what you've been told, all that sort of thing. But to the average person, they may not be able to articulate the word, say, suspicious, which would warrant a, a walk-up. Not everybody understands that. You know, a lot of c- civilians will say, why did you bother going there? What were they doing wrong? How do you explain that, you know, uh, to say the students? How, what would you recommend that they that they do in order to be able to, you know, well, it's Detail. the thing. Police yeah. officers can go up to anybody. You have your 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 three tier right. encounters. You have your consensual yep. encounter. You have your brief stop supported by reasonable articulable suspicion, and you have your arrest. You know, so just like anybody that could that could could be uh, walking down the street, any police officer can approach anybody and have a conversation with them. If they choose not to have that conversation, then you know they're free to go as long as they're not being detained. In this situation, it was just, hey, we saw these individuals in the vehicle. And we went to conduct an investigation to right. see if everything was okay. Right. Just so happened we're in a marked patrol car with marked uniform with a, with a uniform issued uh, by our department. Right. And this individual discharged a firearm, striking my partner and wounding the other one. Right. So right. Um, just want to make that clear that you know right. you don't you don't have to have uh, uh, anybody can go up to anybody as, as it relates to police officers and have a conversation. Thank that's, you for that. That's 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 right. can choose not to engage with that officer, but uh, as long as that 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 citizen doesn't feel that they're that they're detained or they're compelled not to go, right. then it would be constituted a seizure. So very good. Thank you for that very that teachable moment there, Major. I appreciate that. Um, for you and I to understand that, but I think a lot of students, your civilians, who may or may not understand what that really means, and unfortunately led to this tragedy here. It's. Very, very difficult time. Um, and, then, and then the other thing about that is we received a lead sheet from citizens to actually conduct uh, patrol in that area for people that were involved in suspicious activity. Now, as you know, um, if you're talking about the early 19, you know, the 1980s, even the 1990s, you know, 2000s, uh, street level narcotics were usually, you know, hand to hand. You know, person comes up, say what they want. Uh, money's exchanged for the illegal narcotic item, right? 
Right. And but also, as you know, drugs are not always transported on foot. Right. They can be transported by a bicycle and they can be right. transported by automobile. So um, and, and come to find out after the end of this incident, the individual that was the passenger actually um, had a warrant for his arrest and he had narcotics on his possession. Right. So um, and he was arrested subsequent you know, to those charges. But um, those lead sheets give you some type of indication. And, and it's kind of like the, the anonymous voice from the community, kind of like being the eyes and ears, kind of like the old neighborhood watch. Right. Or police officers to say, hey, you know. This is this is this this may be or may not be occurring, but can you investigate? And uh, that that then and, and we still work in that fashion. We receive those tips from um, our community, and and they're in their eyes and ears. We can't do this alone. Right. Uh, we need them to help us to uh, work through some of these uh, issues that are going on within the community. Well said, Major. Thank you very much for explaining that. Uh, that that does mean a lot. That's an ex- again a very poignant and excellent teaching moment. I guess my last question would be for you, then, Major. In this case, here is: Were there any repercussions? You know, did the community come out against you or anything else like that? Or were you supported? So we were. You got to understand. So he, you know, uh, initially there were some um, news stories that came out saying that you know, um, individual were murdered by uh, police officers. And the police union, as well as the police department, uh, actually responded back, saying these officers were in a marked patrol vehicle in a uniform issued by the department, conducting their normal tour of duty. Uh, and um, this all, you know, one officer, two officers were shot. So, um, kind of once it came out and the story unfolded, and, and and it became, you know, two officers shot, one killed, and uh, they understood, you know. Uh, Mark's pedigree and things of that nature, uh, it immediately changed course to more an apologetic tone and uh, uh, supporting um, the Atlanta Police Department as well as the uh, uh, officers that were uh, um, uh, wounded in that particular incident. And it, uh, uh, how can I say, Uh, it was a it was it was a learning moment, but uh, actually the family came out and apologized. Oh, okay. For what happened on behalf of their relative, so right. um, it went from a uh, tragic situation initially, right? Um, from the onset to a, a negative story uh, with the media to a positive story. Uh, in which uh, we had outpour- outpouring support from the community. Uh, like I said, in- internal, external department, or other law enforcement partners from the uh, local, state, and federal level were all uh, there in support uh, right. with us directly after the incident, during the, uh, during the actual morning time with the wake and the funeral, and uh, you know after the incident, just making sure a year later that the family was able to uh, be supported in their relocation to another city. Right. Right. Well, that is one, that's probably the best way to close this interview out major. Uh, I, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for initiating and actually volunteering this to, to speak to this event, because I, we talk about a lot of different things on these podcasts 
but this one really is a serious, authentic reality check that there is good and evil out there, you know, and the thin blue line is just that between that stands between evil and good people, i.e. those good people who sent up those reports, etc. And there are good people that don't want to be associated and do distance themselves from people who just do bad things. Well, the major on behalf of all the Southern New Hampshire University criminal justice students and any other students and faculty members that will be listening to this, and on behalf of the police profession and on behalf of myself, a retired police officer, I cannot begin to even thank you enough for your bravery, your fortitude, your perseverance, and your willingness to share this very, very difficult uh, event with everyone. I know that uh, it's been, it's really been a great interview and the information that they had uh, that they have right now is just uh, worth its weight in gold. Any final remarks uh, before we close out, Major? I, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I just want, you know, uh, everybody to understand, you know, don't take anything for granted. You know, uh, uh, if you love somebody, say you love them, uh, you know, don't go to sleep angry. Don't uh, leave going to work uh, from your spouse or whoever, your kids, uh, upset because you don't know when that's going to be the last time you see them. Uh, and that's just something that I care for for myself. This is no uh, indication of what happened or anything with uh, my partner. Right. It's just something that I always kind of pass on. And the reason I bring that up, and I'll just close with this, is that the night before this incident happened, uh, Mark begged me while we were on duty, can I stop by his house because it was his daughter's birthday. Yeah. And we had uh, cake and ice cream when we sang happy, happy birthday yeah. to his daughter. And the next day he was gone. Right. And, right. Uh, you know, um, I'll never forget when we were sending information at the funeral home and the car pulled up. And what we did is we made many red dog uniforms, black BDUs, tops and bottoms for the kids. And the limousine pulled up. And um, as the window went down, they all they saw the officers in the audience and they saw us up front in our uniforms. And the only thing we heard from them was daddy, daddy, daddy. Oh, and it my. killed us. So the only uh, thing I'm just trying to say is, you know, when, when when you go out, you know, just make sure, you know, uh, you say to that person, you know, what you really feel. You know, you got to give give people their roses while they're here. Tell them you love them. Tell them how you feel, because um, tomorrow's never promised, and you never know what's going to happen. Well, thank you, Major, from the bottom of my heart once again for those words of abject wisdom. Thank you for that. Much appreciated. And it's always an honor and a pleasure to work with you, Major, and to uh, enjoy the fruits of your labor as you, uh, our students are so, so very fortunate to have someone like you having their back, as are, I'm sure, all the Atlanta police officers and the recruits that you, that you bring, uh, uh, that you prepare for the, their, their work, the work that you do, the great work that you do. So once again, Major Fred Watson, Atlanta, Georgia Police Department, uh, blessings and peace to you and blessings and peace uh, to the family of uh, Officer Mark Cross, your partner. With that said, I'll close out this interview. And once again, Major, thank you. And as always, please be safe. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Southern New Hampshire University's Agents of Change, a social sciences podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review us, and be on the lookout for more exciting episodes. Goodbye for now.